Hello, Jordan. Good to see you. Hello, Neil. It's How... nice to see you as always. Yeah, as always. How have yeah. you been? Uh, fine. It's just been a flurry as always. I don't know if this is your life, but mine is pretty much just looking at the internet and then getting a text from you and then replying two days later and saying, oh, yeah, yeah I think so. Which day is Monday again? And then flurrying over here, almost running into trucks along the way because that's all that seems to come to your house is trucks. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I should probably say where Neil lives, but let's just say it's a... Uh, it's it's pretty industrial along the way, and then so yeah. It's, then it's a long Parramatta road, so. Oh okay, you, you, <laughs> but, uh, and you know what? You haven't really narrowed it down either. That is Sydney. Yeah. Let's <laughs> just say yeah. yeah. I live in the Greater Illawarra Sydney region, um, and so yeah, that's basically it. That I just go there, and it's just this. Uh, it's been it's been a hazy week. Okay. What did you do? Fuck me dead. Whoa! I wonder. Was that if picked up? That uh, if 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 no one else heard that, that was a lot of thunder. That was very loud. Yeah, it gave us that same response that dogs have when they hear it. Maybe it is because we're just wearing the headphones. Wow. We both looked at each other with that. That was extremely loud. (laughs) Jesus. I'm pretty scared, man. All right. Well, we better get this this cracking before the storm hits us. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) God's angry that he... Wow, that's sick. He's a fan of this pod. Anyway. (laughs) Well, no, he's obviously not because he's... um, is he angry that we're starting or is he angry that we haven't started? We'll have to interpret that as a sign. As it tell comes. us, tell us, God. Give us another sign. No, he's just happy Damn, that we've started. In mysterious words. Yeah, he, he really does. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are we talking about? I forgot. So, yeah, number three, number three for 2020, number three uh-huh. podcast for 2020. I want to talk about a, a topic that I think you would have a lot more expertise on, but I'm, I'm very interested in, become very interested in just over the last couple of weeks, and that is... Uh, Demographic changes of centre-left parties. Uh-huh. Very specific. Why, why are you interested in that? What happened? Uh, well, I don't know. It's, it's very relevant today with uh, not just the Labour Party in Australia, but all the parties, uh, the centre-left parties in the Western world. Right. The uh, American election is coming up. Mm. A lot's been said about that. So, mm. yeah, I think it's just a... Hmm. Man, how epic is that? Just a... Uh, Pausing mid-sentence to sip on the tea. <laughs> <laughs> it's very philosophical. So ABC. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, we're really getting like to that now. stage. It's just like, we're feeling oh, three hours of jet air on <laughs> 702 mm. Wollongong. Well, this is the ABC for millennials. It is. What have we become, Neil? <laughs> what are we talking about? You're I'd so like to talk about the, the changing tea. demographics. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, what can we talk about? No, I want to talk well, we started, about... Well, we started the podcast like, talking happened? about getting puss, and now it's all... <laughs> <laughs> no. Changing uh, racial demographics of centre-left parties. We already tapped out. <laughs> uh, but, look, this, is, uh, this has been... Um, well, this, the, these thoughts were instigated by reading the, uh, I think it was called the Emerson Report, mm-hmm. which was uh, just a report analysing why Labor lost the 2019 federal election. Did you read that report? No, I saw the summary of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my job to read this stuff. Yeah, the, the, well, the, <laughs> the, really, the only thing that I found very interesting was they, they, um, they had one section talking about the groups that swung against Labor, and they were... 25 to 34 year olds uh, in the outer suburbs, mm-hmm. Chinese Australians, and and Christians. And Christians, that makes sense. I don't think there's really much analysis that needs to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me neither. Scomo, just loving God. Yeah. Uh, 
But and apparently, if you read the pamphlets, Bill Shorten hates God. That's what they were, that was well, one of the pushing go. around the churches. There you go. So, yeah, but the 25 to 34-year-olds in the outer suburbs, that was, uh, that was a pretty interesting one for me. Do you have any initial thoughts hearing something like that? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? The what, Telegraph. What the... But the Telegraph but through and through. 25 to 34-year-olds don't read the Telegraph? They don't read the Telegraph, but what, they, what the Telegraph does is it sets agendas and attitudes. And so they get people... This is what people don't understand. 25-year-olds. Well, think about it, right? Most of the things that you know as part of news or like your attitudes on politics were shaped around your culture and your family, and that's mm-hmm. most people, mm-hmm. right? Unless you deep deal into politics. And that's something I want to get into later as well, relating to something we talked about in the last podcast. But yeah, go on. And so another thing that happens in these instances is that when people say, oh, well, Murdoch doesn't affect me because I don't read Murdoch. And it's like, well, what do you do? Oh, I watch the ABC. Well, what does the ABC do? It gets its news from the Murdoch press. Now, a huge reason for that is because the Murdoch press uh, has the funds and runs a lot of its papers at a loss purely to give Rupert Murdoch his political uh, capital, right? And so... (laughs) (laughs) Let me get it on your camera. <laughs> it's kind of hot as well because I'm kind of burning your fingers. Yeah, I was just going to show Keep people it that. Sorted. It's just two incels talking about politics. <laughs> I know. We're in a sad room by ourselves. Did you hear that lightning? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, see, the thing is that, yeah, when it comes to these things, so say that Rupert Murdoch. Well, what I always use is the phrase, if you want to know what the news is going to be tomorrow, you read The Australian Today, which means that the Australian newspaper runs at a loss. And the reason it runs at a loss is so it can afford to keep a bunch of journalists in Canberra where it holds up as much as 50% of the journalists in Canberra. So they set the agenda of what is and isn't news. But if there was a swing just in this previous election, News Corp's been around for the last couple of elections, what happened from... 2016 to 2019 for that particular group 25 to 34 year olds there was one thing that happened which was that first off the murdoch press became uh extremely attuned into that internet culture of just uh sjw's versus based cunts and so they started pushing that narrative a lot um the other thing is that what happened in 2016 would you attribute that to them mm, sort of concocting uh, the narrative to swing the voters or was it just a product of them seeing that this culture existed online and trying to earn that advertiser revenue, so pushing that as much as possible? Oh, no, look, Rupert Murdoch does not give a shit about money. I know this for a fact. First off, because if he was, if he did care about money, why would he sell off all of his entertainment networks and keep the news? Murdoch cares about influence. He cares about being able to shape and break governments, which is what he does in throughout the Western Hemisphere. Um, so, no, he definitely, that's that's his, like, modus operandi in life. And, in fact, all of his lieutenants that work for him say exactly the same thing. They say that Murdoch is not motivated by money. He is vo- motivated by power. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, when it comes to these kind of things, it's, it's a very, everything that you see in the Murdoch press is very orchestrated. Mm-hmm. It's a very deliberate t- strategy. If they are honing in on something it is because they've looked at data another thing that people don't know about this is that murdoch owns one of the major polling institutions in this country whose name escapes me now i think it is news poll actually um and the reason that he owns that is so he has access to 
all of the polling information that they have. So he can just say, oh, okay, people are getting a bit nervous about taxing or whatever. Okay, so we'll just essentially make up this scare campaign about labor increasing taxes or whatever so when it comes yeah. to people in the west 25 to 34 it makes a lot of and it was males wasn't it it just said 25 to 34 in the outer suburbs mm. see that sounds like the primo target of the oh lefty cucks did i offend you with my fucking prison to being white kind of it seems yeah. like that kind of uh a demographic to me i reckon that that's the thing that would have really pissed them off um i think that was a, that there was a very deliberate strategy of the murdoch press to paint the labor party as these sjw cucks but the thing is also on top of this, this is the genius of murdoch is that he also owns vice and he was pushing on vice that you know oh labor doesn't care about refugees and labor's really sexist towards women because it's not 50 percent women and so it depended on which outlet of rupert murdoch you were watching if you are against uh, that SJW culture, I mean that's a very uh, that's a very broad uh, thing to say. But if you are, wouldn't you just uh, naturally gravitate towards in 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 the context of Australia the Liberal Party anyway? Yes, regardless of what's pushed yep. in the media. Oh, absolutely, you would. But the thing is that. <sighs> What is focused on in the media is what people vote on, yeah. With, with almost an invariable difference, right? Mm -hmm. I think I remember citing this uh, study that was done in the '60s in the US, where they essentially said that it doesn't matter what people can't like, what political parties campaign on. All that matters is what the press says, what their campaign is about. Mm. So, for instance, the example that they were giving, I think it was like Nixon versus. I think it was like JFK versus Nixon back then. And they were saying that the, you know, JFK might have just been running on, um, I don't know, midi, like expanding Medicare or whatever. And Nixon might have been running on defense or whatever. But then, you know, in the media, it would have just been like JFK, uh, the, 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 you know, uh, president for the economy or whatever. Mm. So it'd be like a completely different thing to what they were saying they were campaigning on. And it just, it, it because the thing is, people don't actually go, no one goes and reads these parties' policies, right? They don't watch a campaign launch or anything. They just read a little five-minute summary of what the campaign launch was about. Yeah. And they're just going to take out two or three sentences that they like from it, and then they're just going to say that that's amazing or that's terrible. Yeah. So they're going to decide what it is. Ever since you've, uh, you've been articulating that point, I've tried to look at my own biases in that in that sense and, 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 and see what parties I tend to gravitate towards and a lot of it does um come down to a, a, a an emotional appeal more than anything else it does it absolutely does mm. and so that's the whole thing is what my whole goal in life is to create a narrative that is essentially not as divisive because that is the the main thing that like you know you know the murdoch press and fairfax and things do they they, they play on these cultural divides and yeah they want these things to be exacerbated. So, for instance, look, if there wasn't the media coverage around, I don't know, the Red Pill documentary or, um, I don't know, just like transsexuals that are now allowed in female bathrooms, if there wasn't this constant focusing in on this issue, mm. would it be important to these people? No, because people in the outer west, things that I could t rattle off the top of the tongue of why they should be voting for the Labor Party. I'll give you the first one straight off. Penalty rates get increased under them. 
Um, your infrastructure will actually be built. <laughs> There's a good thing. Instead of them just making West Connects and making you pay $200 a week to get to your work that you already pay fuck all for and live like really far out. There's all of these things that you should be voting for. Do you think it wouldn't matter at all to them, the, the cultural and the social issues? Because... This is my personal theory. Play a big part because it's not just the fact that a transsexual might go to the bathroom when they don't necessarily agree to that, but it sets a precedent more than anything that, well, when we talk about the trans debate, that, uh, well, it, it then comes down to the idea that gender is entirely socially constructed. But the thing is, why does the average person care so much about that? That's my huge question. So for me, for instance, I like I spend. 0% of my life pondering the, the debate of transsexuals. And I think it's just basically because, and it's purely because of my degree, I will give it this credit. It's just, it was just being like, that is not politics. <laughs> like it is not, it's not really the realm of government to just be like, you know, like, oh, this is a, like, th these are minor tiny laws. The things that politics affects in your day-to-day -day life are huge huge things much bigger than like you know bathrooms or the, the, you know identifying a male or a female i think social policy is a is a big part of it's probably not the biggest part of politics but it's still a major part of politics isn't it i i honestly don't even think it's in the top 10 really i, I, I wouldn't even put it anywhere close to that like we're, we're talking about things like you know 1,800 native animals going extinct in sure. the next few years. We're talking about huge amounts of uh, native forest land just going up in smoke in the bushfires, for instance. Things like billions of dollars of damage. Things like civil rights and, and slavery in America, they were, they were huge issues at, at the time. They were huge issues at the time. And I'll say this much as well about them, that mm. now it's been painted as this cultural issue really a very minor point that there was about enslaving people and the morality of that it was more an economic point that was the main drive of uh, the civil war and it was also a lot to do with british influence because the british were uh, funding and propping up a lot of these southern states and you know the white house didn't like that um, now there's just been all of this revisionist history about you know the main point was slavery but the main point that they wanted to end slavery is because that was the central power node of these southern states that were starting right. to get a bit cocky and the, the economies were splitting you know like the north was becoming industrial while the south was still agricultural so they it was basically a political thing of like well why are we okay. even giving taxes to you like we have a completely different economy down here so they wanted to make their own country essentially Okay, so through the lens of history, we see it as a social issue, but... Yes, because it's like it's a myth that makes it sound better than the reality of the situation. Which doesn't is it? that it was, a, it was an economic issue. And political issue. It was okay. also a thing of just the two nations sort of separating. Okay, so if I put myself in, in, in the position of, say, someone in their mid-30s who has a kid in, in primary school, and if we're talking, we're going back to the transgender bathroom debate and, and things like that, it... It doesn't just exist in a void that it's whether or not trans people can use the bathroom that they identify as. It then comes down to, well, what are my kids being taught at school? And that's a complaint you hear a lot from people who are on the um, conservative side of that particular issue. Like, why are kids learning that gender is on a spectrum and uh, that my child can just identify with whatever gender they want to? Yeah, and, I, and look... I completely understand that point. My major point, though, is that point is minor. 
in comparison to the fact that our public schooling system has been underfunded to the point that it is now performing worse than Kazakhstan's. Kazakhstan's, dude. And that is not like a point that the Murdoch press ever talks about, or Fairfax, or the ABC. And they keep this away. So it's this thing of like, watch my kid getting taught. Dude, your kid's not getting taught anything. Like, your kid is getting a worse education than kids in third world countries. (laughs) Why do you give a shit about Spectrum getting taught at school? That's like 20 minutes of the curriculum. And like, you can argue that point after that. But I just say that like, dude... Fight the biggest fire first. It shapes the entire life of the child, doesn't it? It's it's um what does? What they uh what they identify as. Yes, but I would imagine that also like I, if look if we're going to get into this really hippie argument, I would just say that it's and I think you would agree with this point as well. It's just so shallow to identify yourself on these terms of just like I'm a man or I'm a woman. It's kind of fun to debate the differences and whatever. And like as comedians, that's like half of our fucking paycheck. <laughs> oh, more than it's, that, more <laughs> <than> <laughs> that. <laughs> but yeah, like at least seventy percent. But the thing is, it's like, dude, and, and as you were saying last week, right? It's just stupid. Or like me, for instance, like to identify myself as, you know, just like a white European man, you know, like I don't see myself as that. I see, I, I see myself yeah. as a, a as a more nuanced entity than just like, you know, like this is the vagina that I feel out of and this is the cock I have, you know, like it's, it's, it's very fucking stupid, broad terms to identify yourself in the first place. Of course, but then when it comes to specifically the gender issue, isn't there then a, a point where it conflicts with science when they're saying biology has absolutely no bearing on how you act? Yeah. And look, this uh, uh, this is, uh, like, I don't know, again, because I have no interest in this debate, and I understand that that's a point that people can debate, right? But my point is, why is that even a percent of the media coverage. Mm. Why is it even a percent? It's just like, yeah, you can argue that point, but don't try and conflate that with politics. Don't get a federal government elected because they're going to keep transsexuals out of female bathrooms. Even if you hate that idea, swallow your pride, do it for your kids so they have Gonski, for fuck's sake. Like, Mm. it's just, like, you you need to be focusing on these bigger issues, these bigger ticket issues, which I think, again, is uh, something that the Murdoch press and the Koch brothers press in the US has done so effectively, which is to keep it in this murky culture war. And they have made that the thing of, like, this is what politics is. Yeah. Where, really, it should just be such a minor nothing point. You, you should just be talking about things like, you know, water allocation. What are we going to do about the biggest econo- like uh, environmental catastrophe that is looming about eight years away from now? And it's sure. happening now, you know? Sure. These are the things. And, like, you know... It should be completely reversed in in the sense that, like, in the last 2016 election, climate change in the debates got about, I think it was 0.3% of the airtime. 0.3%. But questions like, you know, gender or, like, should we have the first female president or, like, uh, I don't know, like, there's a war on, against Christianity and all that kind of stuff. That got yeah. huge amounts of attention. Okay. Okay. So that's my whole point is that, like, I understand why Western suburbs turned on the Labor Party. But my point is that 
I don't, and I don't know how you can get them back. I think that Anthony Albanese has been doing an, an incredible strategy of changing how the Labour Party presents itself. Yeah. And I think that that actually was their big mistake. But again, at the end of the day, I think that like if the press is against you, what chance do you have? Because that is where people get their information from. Yeah. But I think that like Bill Shorten ran the campaign of just being like, I've got all these big ideas about how I want to change Australia. So instantly you've made yourself a target. Yeah. And so all the coalition did was act as the opposition party. <laughs> like they didn't talk about their yeah. future at all, their plans, what they've done for this country. That was all off the table. It was just like, oh my God, if Bill Shorten gets in, he'll get rid of some minor tax um, tax concession that nobody uses except for like rich retired bankers, you know? Like that's what they started focusing on. Mm. And I think that what Anthony Albanese has done, which is exactly spot on what they should be doing. First of all, he's drinking heaps of beers, all he's doing is sledging the government day in, day out. Just how shit are they? Any like Bill Shorten had this like, I, if they do something good, I'll pass it. If they don't do something good, I'll pass it. Like he had this nuanced point. No, just if you're in opposition, just say everything the government does is shit. Do you think the damage is done though? Well, and and now minor parties like One Nation are taking a lot of that reactionary, culturally reactionary working class vote. Well, this isn't just an Australian problem. Mm. This is a Western democracy problem, which mm. is that minor parties are fucking up the major parties. And I think that that's a really bad thing because you can't run minority governments. There, there's very few examples. On a state level, it kind of strangely works, but in national levels, you just see it over and over again. Nothing gets done when you have to mm. have a coalition between three micro parties and one major party. There's too many conflicting visions and interests in it, and they start... The minor parties start using their leverage a little too much. Like, they might mm. be just contributing two votes to it, and the major party might have 38 votes or something like that. Um, and, you know, that was a huge problem with the last Labor government, was that they had to share power with the Greens. And this is what's happening. What What is most unfortunate about this is one nation doesn't hurt the coalition anywhere near as much as it hurts the Labor Party. The Greens obviously don't hurt the Liberals at all. They just hurt the Labor Party. Most of the minor parties chip do, away votes they? from mm. yeah from the Labor Party. So it's yeah it's, it's all these minor parties. You're right. They, they just if, pick out those mm. things. Sorry. Yeah. Here you go. Well, he didn't get a lot of votes, but um, what was it? The Australian Conservatives, Cory Bernardi's party. Those are the sort of parties that might chip away from the Liberals. That's true. Hmm. They could. Especially if Mal when Malcolm Turnbull was at the helm versus ScoMo. Mm. I think that that's true. Like It would have been a very different story if Malcolm Turnbull was in. Corey Bernardi might have got one or two seats in the Senate, maybe. Hmm. But I think at the end of the day, what happens is that Liberal voters or core Liberal voters... Huh. And look... I such a gross internet buzzword but you know like the left eats itself but that's kind of true whereas you know the center right party kind of just says no get behind the liberal party yeah they have a much more solid base than the labor Has party that always though. historically been the case because absolutely. i would really i would yeah. have assumed that part of that is because um well the cultural left are often the loudest voices on social media yeah so a lot of the centre-right and right-wing voters are more likely to coalesce and, and, and come together just to defeat what they see as the behemoth of the left silencing them. Yes, that's what happens. That's what happened in America with, with Trump. With Trump, yes. 
Now, I don't think, you know, 20 years ago, there's no way uh, conservatives would have voted for someone like Trump. Well, see, this is the other thing as well, though. He would have never been given the access. Right. Donald Trump now is... He is a creature of social media as much as he is able to play um, the mainstream media. But the thing is, like, he, look, if the mainstream media in the 90s didn't want to give you oxygen, you weren't getting a say. Sure. You, know, you were not a being a front runner, right? Mm. But the thing is, he was able to make such a groundswell because of social media that the yeah. media had to pay attention to him and he knew how to play the media against itself. Mm. Um, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, go on, because I want to I wanna bring up a, a, a pretty different point next. Well, that's just pretty much the end of it, so... Okay. <laughs> well, let's go back uh, 20 years, because I, I'm nowhere near as well-versed in my history of Australian politics as you are. Correct me if I'm wrong, John Howard turned a lot of the working-class seats in Sydney liberal, didn't he? Yeah. So why, uh, why did that happen? Well... You can always point to the same reasons of just, um, you know, there was a mining boom, so he was able to dole out a lot of middle-class welfare that we're still doling out now, but it's just, you know, unjustifiable given the economic circumstances. It's just vandalism at this point. But he started all of these stupid welfare programs like baby bonuses and private school rebates, and it gave that aspirational class, the people that are yeah. not really working class, not really middle class, that kind of grey zone that I guess Paul Keating created. Yeah, Those people, he gave welfare handouts, like first home buy grants and okay. things. Because the class distinction isn't as um, apparent in Australia as it is in other countries. No. It's very... Uh... No. It's quite murky. Yes, but that didn't used to be the case. What happened was because of the economic reforms that happened under Keating and Hawke, they kind of blurred what middle class and working class was. Okay. Um, But, yeah, so anyway. So if you were, say, if you were a tradie in the, um, I don't know, post-World War II, what would your standard of living have been like in comparison to someone who was a professional like a doctor or something, would it have been uh, vastly different or? Well, I do know that Hawke and Keating's economic reforms, first of all, they took a huge dive to union numbers, which has started to bite us in the ass now, uh, because now we're just seeing a lot of wage stagnation, which is just slowing the economy entirely. Um, But at the time, their reforms increased the standard of living for the average Australian by 50% over the next three decades, I think. And now it's starting to slow and wages Hawk are going and, down. Hawking Keating. Hawking Keating. So in the US, Reagan, in that mm. same time, because they just had that rampant push through all these extremely cor- pro-corporate policies that just completely ate away at the middle class, um, they only saw wages increase by 1%. So here it came to like a near 50% increase in the Mm. same time because of the way that Paul Keating and Bob Hawke transitioned the economy. So the standard of living as a result of that was increasing. And a lot of that was due to the mining boom and that that was just squandered by Howard, but we'll get into that another time. And so, but the standard of living was increasing. It's only been in the last five yeah, about five years that the standard of living is starting to slip in Australia. But mm. if you go to, say, London or you go to the US, or actually the UK and the US, 
there's parts of that those countries now that are more or less third world countries. Yeah, the disparity is far greater. It's terrible. In Australia, it hasn't had that same impact, and it's because our... And culturally, we're very different. Australia was always the working class paradise. and Yes, that's true as well. Probably and the average person would lean further left than, say, America or the UK. I think you... it's not so much that. I think it's that in Australia that we had two things going for us. First off, we had compulsory voting. Mm-hmm. So in the US, all you have to do that's is just... That's yeah. That's a big thing. Well, yeah, you, yeah. You, all you have to do in the US is mobilise like a few fringe groups like evangelicals and gun nuts and you can be a major party there Hmm. um in australia you kind of have to answer to the entire electorate so the liberals were never as cutthroat as they have been in the us and the uk Hmm. uh and by the way for any international viewers uh our liberal party is actually the uh the center-right party yeah they're like the republicans i guess but like if you actually look at where they are it's kind of they're closer to the democrats in the us which is fucked but anyway <laughs> but they but you know they, that's their but that is, isn't that then again another symptom that the, just the overton window of politics is far further to the left in australia than it is in well i just i just don't know how to i, I don't want to use those words like left and right what i would say is that I, what they I, are yeah, is I, they're just more corporate the Democrats in the U.S. have yeah. to rely on corporate donations a lot more than the Labor Party has mm. to rely on them here. And the Republicans are completely beholden to just two billionaires or one billionaire. You know what? Now. You're right. Actually, using the word corporate is probably because when you say left and right, it brings up, in many cases, wrongful assumptions about certain parties. So a big thing when I was you know, younger, I just assumed liberals were the, the party where there was, you know, they'd, they'd take a step back, smaller government, but... They do donate. They they do have a lot more of the corporate welfare and things like that, don't they? Yeah. So at the end of the day, when it comes to both the Republicans and the Liberal Party, they always talk about small government. But both of them, and this is just statistics that you can look up, increase the government uh, every time they're in office by huge margins in terms of expenditure, yeah. in terms of departments, in terms of jobs. The thing Particularly is, we have the military in America. Yes, that's a big one. But that's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. They're putting it in things that service corporate america or corporate australia they're expanding the government to to essentially just become a welfare state for these massive corporations do you think the center-left parties need to make more of a distinction between being uh when they talk about uh corporations sometimes people with small businesses or medium-sized businesses get nervous and some of these people you're going back to these 25 to 34 year olds in the outer suburbs maybe they have a small business or they're work for themselves, they're tradies, and then when, when they hear what they perceive as anti-business rhetoric, they get nervous. And there needs to be more of a distinction made in, in saying that, you know, the poli- our policies are affecting the corporations, they're not affecting small businesses. Well, I think that, first of all, Bernie Sanders makes a really good, he makes a very good distinction of that. He's constantly saying, like, I'm he not does. after the 1%, I'm after the 0.001%. Well, the point he makes that I really like um, is when when people always ask him, are you a socialist or whatever? And he says, uh, he'll say, well, it's social." when he says something along the lines of it's socialism for the big corporations, but it's rugged individualism for everyone else. Yeah, yeah. That's a point that I think yeah. that would resonate with uh, the working and middle class uh, a lot more. Yes, but the thing is, and this is, you will see this point over and over again, and it's just basically because things have gotten so bad in the US, as in, like what I was just discussing there, this is just factual. You will go to a lot of southern states in the US, and it is third world. There's, you know, entire suburbs that will have very limited access to electricity and water. It's, Mm. It's 
it's gotten bad there and the same in the UK. So you can actually make more of these anti-corporate points um, mm. because it's just like it's so visceral in people's lives. They know that yeah. these corporations, like they used to have good jobs and these trade deals ship those jobs off to, the, to Asia okay. and so they're like a lot poorer as a result. So you can make those points here. In Australia, it's a lot harder to make those points. Um, and on top of that, there is Australia has like the worst media concentration in the developed world in terms of just a couple of billionaires own virtually all the media in this country. And so to even get a play in the Overton window, you can't say any of this class warfare shit. I mean, Bill Shorten tried to do it in the last election and it scared the hell out of Murdoch and, um, you know, the... the uh, the investment firms that own Fairfax. Okay, right? wouldn't it have scared it? it um, well, part of that report and things like that is saying it scared the actual the people who turned against Labor as well. Yes, because they kept saying this phrase of class warfare to these people. They kept saying that you know, yeah. and and people don't like to identify themselves as the working class or whatever. Especially in Australia, they like to see themselves as not the middle class well, yet. When Bill Shorten was saying that you know the top end of town, that's such a vague term. What does that mean? Yeah. It wasn't very yeah. specific. No. No, and all of these phrases, I guess, you can... you can. Um, you can oh, well, he was them. trying to be quite ocker, I think. He was trying to say, you and know, just, that, that bloody top end off. of town. It yeah. just didn't, it didn't work no. at all. No. <laughs> you know what I think lost in the election? That footage of him running. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. Wow. He needed a bra. Oh. That was sad, oh, that was wasn't so it? so embarrassing. And, and the fact that his tits moved in different directions as well. Oh, I feel so... <laughs> I, I, look, I feel bad, but oh my God. <laughs> but you know what? Actually, that is a huge point of what actually did leave it. Because it's the same thing that happens in the UK, for instance. Like with Ed Miliband, they would show him eating a bacon sandwich and tomato sauce dripping on his face and just be like, is that the face of Britain that you want? You know, whereas uh, you could show exactly the same things. I just saw a footage of Scott Morrison trying to run up a hill the other day. It's not like that guy's like the pinkest no, goddess. Either. <laughs> but they, well, that wasn't show, they, displayed across the What press. about that footage of John Howard trying to bowl? I'm sure you've seen that. He oh, the bowling the ball thing. and he completely yes. screws up. But actually, That's hilarious. that worked in his favour. It. Because he's always he, ha he always had endearing, this, was it? Yeah, he had this threat of just being this non-threatening nerd. Mm, he, yeah, okay. he played mm. into that image a lot, and actually, that's what uh, I think was very because Kevin Rudd was the most liked prime minister Australia ever had, and I think a lot of it was to do with the fact that people in Australia, we were talking about it before, they don't like bosses. They no. like they like. Yeah, they like, like underdogs. They like losers. Someone like Trump wouldn't wouldn't have. There's no way he would have won here. Well, that's, it's, that is unless, Clive Palmer. And unless things have got had gotten so bad that they really want. They're just looking for a demagogue type character. Yeah, but it would have to take a. It, there'd have to be a really severe downturn in standard of living for someone like that to making roads here. We're not close to that. That's no. the thing that's kind of. This is what's very frustrating for me is that, and it's the same thing as well with like Labor's, uh, Labor's moves after the global financial crisis. What, what the Labor Party did, and this is accredited to them by 140 global economists and global economic institutions. There's a list of them. All of them accrediting Labor as being the best economic managers on earth. 
And this is what I'm saying, like, when it doesn't matter at all what a government does. It matters about how they're interpreted in the media. Why was the Labor Party voted out in 2013? Because of their horrendous economic management, despite the fact that they are, by, like, 140 institutions, the best on earth. Where do you go from there? The best in the universe? It's like, there's the, we were the top. Now we're down, like, at the very bottom of the developed world under the Liberal Party's economic management. But the point that they, they, they're always trying to make there, they went, I guess, They just the, like, went with the debt the, the debt issue, didn't they? They just kept focusing on the, the debt, GFC which means then... nothing, right? Like, it doesn't matter if a country's in debt or not until you get to, like, Mexico levels or whatever. But, you know, when you're just at this, at, at our level, uh, basically the choices were does, go into does, recession or go into debt. Huh? Doesn't matter at all, the level of debt? No, because it's completely different. Because they kept selling this all the time, just being like, it's a house debt. It's, if you've got a home loan debt, you want to pay it off, don't you? But countries aren't like that's that. The, that's the only way I can sort of relate to it. <laughs> but again, yeah, look, and I, I really want to get to the point uh, eventually of, of sort of, you know, people's upbringing and the culture that they're brought up in and how that relates to their political leanings. But I'll get to that soon. But the debt thing, uh, that does, um, that relates to that. Uh, but you, so you don't think, so regardless of the level of debt, it's not. Well, think about it. Like Japan's been in debt of 200 plus percent for decades now. Their economy's just powering Isn't on. it just a bubble though? It'll... Well, that's what they've been saying for decades. Yeah. But the thing is that if you just keep floating your debt and you're using it to build more infrastructure, which is what Japan has been doing, and you're just constantly building your economy... Maybe you should be staying in debt. There is no actual real argument for keeping into a surplus. It's kind of just uh, like. Well, what about if you, if someone said if 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 someone said yeah if there were uh, medium to long term investments and infrastructure that the government was uh, uh, exceeding their budget to to pay for, how about if they were just exceeding the budget by paying for welfare? Yes, well, this is the whole thing, which is exactly what the Liberals are doing, which is why the debt has doubled under the Liberals. Whereas in when the Labor Party was in, it was kept as the third lowest debt in the OECD for five years, and it was going down. As soon as the, Labor, uh, the Liberals got in, not only did they double our debt, they gave us more debt than this country's had in its entire history. But isn't that because the, they, uh, and this could be a very Murdoch point that I'm just reiterating, but they inherited the budget that already was in, in a deficit, so they had to slowly uh, draw back on that. But at the, over the years that they were drawing back on it, they were still contributing to that debt. No, because that's what the Labor Party was doing. The Labor Party was paying it down. This is just in the graphs. Like, you can right. see them. They got the debt because of the global financial crisis because they had to inject the country with money. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have gone into a recession. And as a result of that, they, had to, they were slowly paying back the debt. They kept it as the third lowest debt in the OECD. There is no reason that as soon as the Liberals got in, other than poor economic management, that we went from third lowest debt in the OECD to 18th highest. And we now have more debt than we have ever had in this nation's history combined under the last six years of the Labor Party, Liberal Party. And the reason was is because the Labor Party used that money to invest in the country. Mm. Um, first of all, it gave out those $1,000 stimulus packages and everyone yeah. went out and bought TVs and stuff. So that just you know gave it kept the economy moving. Yeah. But then the second phase of it was that they built all of these new infrastructure projects. You can go out now, and you can go out to all these towns, you can go out to anywhere in Sydney, really, and you will see a bunch of plaques saying, built by the Honourable Anthony Albanese, who was the infrastructure minister back then, all over the country. How many of those do you see of fucking 
built by Dutton and shit. There's none. And it's because they haven't been investing in infrastructure. They halved infrastructure spending. Instead, what they did was put out all of these corporate tax cuts, where I think I was talking about it last week, where they're now spending like $700 billion, allowing corporations to get away with $700 billion of money a year in Australia. So I, I, I guess the counterpoint to that would be the um, economically conservative argument that uh, the, the market is just is more effective at building infrastructure. How do you respond? Well, it's just simply not. Like you can, again, it just goes back to graphs. It's just when there is a huge investment in government spending in building infrastructure, first off, the private sector is not going to want to build roads. They're going to want to build highways that they can toll. But the thing is that if you're trying to properly manage traffic, you want to be building a bunch of smaller roads instead of one big road to channel everyone onto, which is what they're trying to do with West Connects, right? They're not going to want to build trains. They're not going to want to build... um, they might want to build an airport, I guess, maybe if they can Why charge wouldn't they, more of if, that. if it's uh, economically viable to to make a profit on a train line, why wouldn't they want to? Because it's not economically viable to build it on a train line. It might be viable to take over the train line once it's been built. Yeah. But if you're building the train line, that's maybe 15, 20 years of investment up front that you have to pay. No company is going to want to put that on their books for 20 years. They're going to want to come in later and just say like, oh, we'll buy this train off you. And then start making money, but they don't want it just to be sitting there uh, for twenty years. Are there some richer entrepreneurs out there that would be willing to take that initial risk? Maybe they might the be Elon Musk of the know. world that are already looking at Mars, and there's no profit to be made at the moment there. No, that's true. And there are a couple of kooky billionaires that do things like, yeah, let's go look at Mars or whatever. But this is not how you build a country. Just having two billionaires having these far out zany ideas of making laser beams that can make you travel halfway across the planet you know like it's it's building right. the shit that you need built today yeah you know schools why would any private institution want to be able to build schools hospitals docks all of these things maybe they might want to build docks but in general when you look at it when infrastructure when the government isn't investing in it plummets every time it is the government that builds the majority of infrastructure. Uh-huh. And it's because they are just looking out for the interests of the country in the future. Pr- private companies, again, it always comes back to the same thing, but private companies only care about profit. That is their only motivation in life. Whereas governments potentially can be looking at the future direction of a nation, which is why they build all this shit. And in fact, that's the reason why China, for instance, is having this massive global infrastructure boom at the moment. They're building inf- they built they've built so much infrastructure in China mm. that they've ran out of shit to build and now they're just building ghost cities that no one lives I've, in. Uh, I've been on their trains. They are fantastic. <laughs> uh, they're a lot better they're than fast, the, they're man. a lot yeah. better than the Sydney trains. Exactly. But that's uh I don't know what slave labor they employed to <laughs> to do that. Yeah, neither do I. But the thing is, they're building the infrastructure. That's my main point. That's what drives a national economy. Like, and it's the same thing with broadband, for instance, right? No private institution is going to build national broadband. Only a government would do that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You can see that. Does make sense. So I guess this is the... Yeah, the, the end of the rub is that um, none of these points... All of these points are substituted. So you can see it in the direction of the people that moved away from the Labour Party. Who were they in every situation? Queensland. Every single newspaper in Queensland is owned by Murdoch. Western Sydney. What is the predominant source of news in Western Sydney? The Telegraph. Um, 
when it comes to uh, the moving away in Western Australia, Western Australia dominated by uh, the Murdoch press. In the states where there was more of a balance on news coverage, like, say, Victoria or New South Wales, not as much of a swing. So then why did the, uh, the what do they call them, the affluent green left in the inner cities, why did they swing towards Labor? Wouldn't they still be uh, exposed to the Murdoch press as much as people in the outer suburbs are? Well, this is the other thing as well. I think that and this is just, look, it's very superior to say this, but I'll own it. Look, the thing is, I'll say this, right? Yeah. Bogans, and I think we'll both agree on this, Bogans are better people than, say, you know, definitely me on a lot of levels, uh-huh. right? In terms of, like, looking out for their family. No, I'm going to look out. Davo's my cousin. They've got that kind of attitude in life, right? Uh-huh. But, yeah, when it comes to critical thinking skills, no. You do not have the same critical thinking skills as somebody who goes to university, just being like, oh, I learned what I need to learn from the University of Hard Knocks. Yeah, dude, they don't teach you how to read properly. The, the, the school of hard knocks okay. teaches you how to be street smart, right? But when it comes to deciphering information and seeing what is and isn't bullshit, it's about critical thinking skills. And, yes, there's a lot of things to be hated about people who live in Newtown. Believe me, I'm on board with that. But do they? Yeah, but I, 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 don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the assertion that they're better, pressed as, that, like, they're better equipped to, to think critically than people who might be in the outer suburbs. And someone who isn't university educated. Like, think about it. Like, somebody who is university educated would be more interested in politics than someone who isn't. True, but... And this is purely just anecdotal evidence. I, I suspe- This sounds like a bogan point that I'm making. I've speak, I speak to a lot of these people with degrees. <laughs> they yeah, don't impress God. me. And they actually do. A lot of them, I, I, I... They're a lot more articulate, without a doubt. And they're a lot more well-read and, and knowledgeable on certain topics. But I, I don't know if they have a greater ability to think critically. Actually, you know what? All right, let me, let me back that up. I, I reckon you're probably right. It might not even be critical thinking. What it might be is interest in politics. Because every time interest in politics goes over 40% in this country, as in people say, I'm engaged in this election, the Labor Party wins. Because it's just a no-brainer. When you look at what the Liberal Party is offering for the future and what the Labor Party is offering for the future... There's no contest. Mm. It's just people don't have any interest in politics. And so I think it's the same thing when it comes to people in the Western suburbs. They're just not really thinking about it being like, oh, I don't have time for all that stuff. A man's got to eat first and then he comes home and then his wife's yelling at him, where's the time to read? They've got that kind of attitude to life. And so they have no interest in politics and then they see a bunch of billboards and they see like you know their mate from work that listens to Alan Jones or whatever who reads the Telegraph being like, mate, did you hear about this trillion dollar tax? Oh, that's bullshit. I don't want to pay more tax. They have, that's how they see the world. It's, it's, so it's not so much critical thinking as it is a lack of interest. And you're probably right. Okay. You probably are right. Like, yeah, now that I think about it, I can't even believe that I defended Newtown for a second. <laughs> All of the tradies I know voted uh, tend to vote liberal. And I don't know many tradies, mm. but I do know five. <laughs> <laughs> More than me, dude. And so uh, one or two of them, um, no, I think at least I know four of them are liberal voters. No, that and that makes a lot of sense because it's always been the party of small business, which is the way that the Liberal Party brands itself. Mm. Um, what th- about something like that? Uh, what did they do? Uh, what did that uh, Joe Hockey did that? Um, 
$20,000... Um, tax write-off. Yeah. Yeah. And that would help a lot of uh, tradies, wouldn't it? Yes, but see, here's the thing. The Labor Party matched it. So <laughs> I don't see <laughs> where, where, where you're getting this idea. I think it really is just mostly about branding when it comes to the Liberal Party. At the end of the day, the Labor Party, even though it's, again... These are horrendous things. Small businesses do not need a $20,000 tax write-off, in my opinion. <laughs> but the thing is that... You're a small business. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it help you a lot? Yeah, it would help me. But the thing is... Buy like, some equipment. Dude, I, I care more about the direction of society than me having an extra twenty grand. And it's, it doesn't yeah. even work like that. But There's, then also then uh, the, the socially conservative counterpoint to that would be... Uh, just because you have that extra $20,000 doesn't mean you go and spend it on something for yourself. You, you, but you, know. you will. Yeah, I know. We're all, <laughs> we're all self-interested, without a doubt. I, I agree. But I also do think we should strive to be as, uh, uh, as charitable as, as we possibly can. No, I agree. Do that, you know, try to not try no, to do that ourselves. Yes, that's true. Versus and no, that's, that's actually a very valid point, and some of the most generous people I know do vote liberal. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but I'm just saying that it's always the same point. Individuals cannot have the same impact as a government. A government is the sum efforts of 25 million people. Oh, but individuals on a mass scale can have a, a, a huge impact. But who's organising them? They're organising themselves. So they're all just going to have little dumb in competing interests moving in all different no, people directions. People can bring people together under a common... Well, what we were talking about in the last podcast, under a group identity or Yes, that is ideology. possible. That is possible. But are you ever going to be able to bring an entire nation together? Never. Well, you look at Governments can't do religion that. Religion has done that. An entire nation? Yeah. Oh, I suppose like in the Middle Ages or something. But not well, now. Even, even... Well, what, yeah. Dude, it's just like... Christianity more or less is just a big YouTube channel now. Now, yeah, <laughs> you but reckon? but um, well, in, when America was founded, it was founded as a well. People refute whether it was founded as a Christian nation, as such, but everyone was like very Christian. Yeah. So there was that uh, common ideology between everyone. So they were on the same page there. That's true. The problem is every single like. Look, even in these uh, the height of when Christianity was big, say like the you know the Holy Roman Empire or something, yeah. and at the end of the day, it was branding. It was it, it was a government there. There was a bureaucracy there that was making the decisions of how the empire was being run, and they were running on purely secular ideals. Okay. Like you know, yeah. there's, there's nothing in Christianity to be about banking, for instance, or <laughs> you know, killing a lot of people. <laughs> There's no, like, or like a policing system or how like a society should be policed and honestly again like if, if you want to go to like this old ideology that's thousands of years old and think oh, like not, yeah that's how you run a country no, it just seems weird I'm not saying that but I'm saying uh, individuals can unify under a common ideology to make a, a much more impactful difference than just as separate individuals yeah which is why I think that you should be moving for parties that's why I think people should be more engaged in politics. That should be their modern religion because that is what impacts the real world. I don't think people understand just how much damage or good a government can do. It has so many fulcrums at its levers, right? right? It's yeah. just, it, it controls every aspect of life. So why not make that your new religion? That's what I'm... You know what they actually call, like, true Labour Party voters? They call mm. them true believers. 
Okay. And it's kind of true. It's like, it's the same thing as, you know, like people have just been like sticking with the Sharks for 40 years to see that one premiership win, you know? Like that is how Labor Party voters feel. Because yeah. they, they never fucking win. And so like you have to stick around for those brief little flint glorious moments. Okay. And there is a reason why they are true believers because they are very invested in politics and they realise that at the end of the day you have to unite under a big movement to take power. So I think that that's like, that would be the answer to it. But on top of that, yeah, like I really cannot understate how much governments shape the world or yeah, governments, governments do build the world we're looking at now. You know, the, the, the way that the world is on a macro level is not because of individual decisions. It's because of these big political machines you know, morphing trade deals. Yeah, but aren't they just aren't they just the product of individual decisions? The some product of individual some pro- decisions. Yes, some product yes. of individual decisions. They are. And that's the whole point of it. It's just like you have to think of these things as a... I really like this word to describe political parties. Machines. Machines. That's yep. what they are. Mm, working in the interests of their uh, constituents. Working in the interests of their constituents. And that those constituents are just making individual decisions, which then influence the machine. So yeah. But the thing so is, like, when it comes to like the the political machine, right? Yeah. Maybe some individuals in it have more of a say of how the machine is influenced. But yeah. there is a consensus. There is a like, for instance, in the Labor Party, uh, when you're voting. Uh, it, it's kind of just like there's all these there's all these members that sit there and then they vote on what policies they're going to be taking to an election. They will have yeah. big conferences where all of the uh, faction leaders come together of every union and every political branch and they sit there and they vote uh, in these factions on which ones pass and which ones don't. Sure. So, so that is how a machine works. Yeah, okay. There's like a lot of discipline and structure in it. Which is also like, you know, to its detriment, something like, for instance, the reason that Hillary Clinton was able to clinch the Democratic nominee instead of the um, Bernie Sanders because she ran that machine mm. or the machine wanted her, you know. That's how these things work. Mm. And so, yeah, look, I, from my view, I see that I honestly think that the only way that these, like, you know, what what are called centre-left parties nationwide, so, like, the Labour Party in the UK, the Democrat Party in the US, um, Mm -hmm. the Labour Party here, the only way that they can gain office is through either huge catastrophes or favourable media coverage. And everything else after that of, you know, like, was the leader charismatic enough? Well, was John Howard charismatic? (laughs) Does it, I don't think these things actually matter. I think this is all just, they make a difference, but it's not the be all and end all. It's not the be all and end all. Um, So I want to now explore just the way culture shapes the political opinions that you, that individuals have, especially from, Relating it back to, yeah, the outer... I I keep bringing it back to this, but, like, the outer suburban, what people would define as the working class, and I wouldn't really call them working class in Australia anyway, but 
Yeah, they're like richer than us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they, they're well... But that's that's exactly what I'm... Um, there is a branding... Uh, how can I put this? When people think of the... We'll, we'll use the term even though we both sort of have disagreements with it. When people think of centre-left parties now, they do think of... Uh, I think a lot of people do think of... This is the party of victimhood. And the party that uh, is just giving in to the whims of anyone who is complaining. And when you look at this, this sort of the, the working and, and middle class aspirational folk in the outer suburbs, and when you look at migrants in particular, they may come from a, a, a working and, and lower socioeconomic background, but the last thing they want is to be perceived as a victim, as an oppressed class. Mm. And that... I think is uh, is really damaging the the parties a lot. Yeah. No, that is true. There is like a way that you are supposed to speak to the constituency that you are running on. Um, that's that's a hundred percent true. But I don't think that uh, being told that they're the working class would have been the main motivator of why. These, these parties vote a certain way. So, for instance, when it comes to the Chinese, I don't think it's because they see themselves as... They, they don't like being called oppressed migrants or whatever. I think it is what Gladys Liu did. She basically tricked a bunch of Chinese fobs that didn't know how to speak English to vote for the Liberal Party by making the Liberal Party's pamphlets mm. look like the AEC pamphlets. Mm. Um, well, when, this, when the mainstream media... Were, uh, when the perception is that one party is the party of, of, you know, welfare and handouts, even though, as you say, it's a lot more nuanced than that, that is immediately going to turn a lot of the definitely immigrants off. Yeah. I can I can tell you that yeah. from firsthand experience. Yeah. And a well, lot of the aspirational... It, I, I think, well, if you look at, say, the like Greek and Italian immigrants that came to Australia post-war... There was a lot more of that class distinction because they were they were working in factories and they were they you know they weren't necessarily tradies and working in mm. small businesses. Mm. Whereas now, yeah, Asians and Indians tend to work in small businesses yeah. or move into professional classes. Yeah, and it's drilled. It, I can tell you this from <laughs> and my parents were not it were the like most liberal in the sense culturally indians out there i've heard stories of other indians that it's just insane it's drilled into you from when you're a kid like study hard get a good job work hard you'll get a good job so and i can even say that from a personal uh from a personal point of view and i i don't like saying this but sometimes when i hear um working class people say oh it's tough for me I struggle to to empathize sometimes because it's just been drilled into me from from such a young age. Like, well, if you've worked hard, you get a good job. No, I I hundred percent agree as well, and I feel that same thing as well. I I really do. When somebody says that, you know, like, oh man, it's so tough out there for me and and, and Aussie, it's just like, dude, you live in one of the richest countries on earth. Hmm. Um, you, you know how to write. Shut the fuck up. And open up like a Seven Eleven, dude. Like, this, like you can right. you can actually make a lot of money, and you don't like your circumstances. I understand that in this context they are shaped this way. The the difference is though, yes, 
you grew up with those Indian values instilled in you. But what I understand it as is say that I, because, you know, I, when you used to live in Lithgow, there was a huge sector of society because these are some of the lowest socioeconomic people in the country. But right? they also, I've actually found that working class white people have those same values. It's just not as academically inclined. It's like work hard, like get, get a good a trade. Job. Yeah, get a trade, work hard, <laughs> don't ever complain. It's the, again, they're like in the city green left that are like, oh, if you've got a problem, all right, let's talk about it. Well, this isn't but, so much the thing of like the working class as much as it is the underclass almost. This is... So when you're talking about the yeah, lower okay. socioeconomic class, you're talking about generations of people that are on welfare. You're talking about people that are permanently unemployed and just move from job to job and come from these broken homes. And yeah. this is this is a large sector of society. I think it's about 21% of the population that's really in that bottom sector. And I know people that came from those backgrounds and they are smarter than me much smarter than me some yeah. of the some of the people that i knew that grew up in these you know crackheady kind of households right but the reason that they were able to get out of it is because the school system at that time was there to support them and was able to educate them to the point that there's other things in life than meth hmm. you don't have to be like your dad there is other options out there for you, and that's so the school, it. Was all the you would you would attribute all of that to the school system? Well, dude, like if you have shit parents, where else are you going to get these attitudes and beliefs from? Yeah, oh, I I definitely agree that because um, again, your, your product, in, your environment, environment yeah, right? yeah, and I like now, you could be a crackhead. No, I, I, I <laughs> dude, I hundred percent would be. I'm so um, malleable. I would a hundred percent be a crackhead <laughs> if I malleable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I've no, that was a realization for me in the last couple of years because I always thought, oh, these people, they like that's their fault. They didn't work hard enough. But now, I you realize just how much the parents play a massive, not just parents, but like the your environment in your early years and adolescence, how much that plays just a gigantic role in the values you have yes. as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess it's that thing of yes, there's also there's that Western suburbs crowd that's like your tradies, but there's also that cursor crowd. Yeah, you know? there's a, yeah, like the Western suburbs. It's not just like one homogenous group. There's a fa- yeah, there's a few there's factions a, there. There's a definitely a lot of factions. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is offensive to, uh, sorry to everyone in the Western suburbs. Yeah. Um, but dude, you know that the other thing is that's mad say. about the Western suburbs? Every time you sit there and as a stand-up comedian, it's the most guaranteed laugh ever. It's just being like, oh, you're from Bankstown, are you? Don't stab me. And everyone goes, and the people from Bankstown love it. It's funny. It's funny. <laughs> it's just it's, it's funny. Um, what was I gonna say? Yeah. So that's why we, I uh, I find it surprising that you would that education plays such a uh, a, a huge role in changing people from uh, getting people out of these horrible circumstances. Because I always I would assume that the the culture is the main. Um, the main factor there so you need it you can you can you can if if someone hasn't been brought up with a huge respect for education you can you can throw as many books at them as you want are they actually going to change that value no you raise a really good point that yes culture is always going to beat institutions but the thing is if you don't if, if you are just having that culture that culture will stay the same forever as in, like, I think I told you this, right? When I was in Turkmenistan, 
I remember going to some of the oldest cities on earth, like Mizor or something. It was 5,000 years old. It was nothing but ruins. Yeah. And in the center, there was just a guy on a horse with a sword going, ah. and then you go to the capital of Turkmenistan now. <laughs> what, and there is in Turkmenistan? <laughs> what a random basically country. Basically for the meme. <laughs> all the, the lols <laughs> and there was many lols to be had um but uh i, would, I don't know any is it well is it a muslim majority muslim country yeah but they're chill muslims they're not that <laughs> not that saudi not saudi type. arabia yeah, yeah. <laughs> um well, uh, there goes our uh, potential billion dollar funding oh yes yeah dude just like yeah just first half shitting on oil second half shitting on shiites i think it is (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that was um uh yeah but yeah and then you go to the capital of turkmenistan now ashgabat which is incredible by the way but you go there and there is a guy who is the president for life now he's not known as a king anymore he's president for life but Mm -hmm. it's the same thing and he's still on a horse with a sword. And no one uses horses or swords anymore. But he still wants to see himself as that image of that king from 5,000 years ago. Go. The culture doesn't change. And you know the only time that it did change? Because it's basically just... It just seems like everything hasn't changed since ancient Mesopotamia or whatever the, the area was back then. Until that break when the Soviet Union took over. And then there's this Soviet influence. But that only happened, yeah. what, in the 60s? So there was just 5,000 years yeah. of an unchanged culture. Then this heavy government came in, kind of changed the trajectory of the society a bit. And that's essentially what a school does. <laughs> okay. The school is that Soviet Union that just comes in and says, like, no, you are not the cra- proud crackhead people. You are a brickie. You know, like it moves you up. Okay. It gives you the options. So it's like, yes, you can't bring everybody out of their circumstances. But the mm. thing is, you can bring a lot of people out of the circumstances. And you can see the difference of the impact and how all of these societies changed from Gough Whitlam properly funding schools and changing the schooling system around so that he forced good teachers to not be going to all of these elite affluent areas like the eastern suburbs. They would yeah. force them into the western suburbs. And I know this from experience because if Gough Whitlam didn't do that, mm. my mum wouldn't have become a teacher. Okay. She came from like Croatian peasants that farmed cabbages and shit. She probably just would have been some you know, sideline two-bit farmer as well. It was only because she went to school and then there was this uh, this realisation that, oh, I could go to university. Mm. It doesn't occur to these people otherwise. Mm. And that's not going to be everyone's story, but th- that is a vehicle out. Sure. Okay. Then then you get into, a, into an issue of um, devaluing uh, a degree because if there's such an oversupply of people with the degree then what does the degree mean anymore? Yeah. Which you, I think you can see happening today. Yes. And so, and I completely agree. I think that going to university for virtually anyone, unless they want to become a professional, is a waste of time. Hmm. And even me, I'm, I'm very... Uh, no, I, hmm. I think that I narrowly escaped it because I went to Korea for that year and that actually was worth the money. But um, yeah, the I'm... other three years, you could just ride off. I think that the only reason that you would go to university now is for connections. That's kind of good. But the thing is, it, it's not so much... And this is the same thing with you, because you didn't go to university, but because of your I did, upbringing... I did for one semester. 
Yeah, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> My mistake. Econo- yeah. Macro, microeconomics, statistics. A work in progress degree. Uh, I, had a, <laughs> I, had a, uh, I had a scholarship and everything. Yeah. You did? Yeah. And so now that's all gone out the window, hasn't it? Yeah. But it wasn't worth shit. That's what I'm saying. Like, even you with your scholarship, you're better off in life now without it. But it's not because... It's not so much... Look, yeah, university, I think, in general, is probably a crock at this point. But it's, it's that thing of just valuing education something has to spark that value of without education. a doubt i i 100% agree and i'm yeah uh public education like properly funded public education um for for young children is is vital but i just think when you're just trying to push everyone to have a degree that's when i don't i don't agree with that well yeah that and it in just, fact it just devalues the degree yes and governments worldwide now are doing the exact opposite. They're trying to value vocational education. Well, the liberals have gutted that and completely privatised it and made that a piece of shit degree as well anyway. But, mm. you know, smart countries like Germany, for instance, are investing a lot of money into their techs. Or mm. <laughs> How dated am I? Is that what they're still called? Techs? TAFE. In their taste. Well, at least for the next half a century, that is actually a much safer bet to become a mm. to become a tradie because um, AI is going to take over a lot of the low and and, and mid end uh, white collar jobs. And probably tradies are probably straight off the chopping block after that. After, but that we're talking about the estimates uh, when you get smart homes and things like that. That's that's still a couple of decades away. That'll be really scary. What, if, what are we going to do? Put into the future there what are humans going to do? You know what? The crazy thing. I have a joke about this. The last uh, profession, likely that's going to, that's not going to um, feel the, uh, that's not going to be affected by AI is the creative arts. That's true. It's, it's us. It will be. <laughs> but who will be our audience? That's the whole thing. Like, I mean, as if like a robot. Just that a is lot of unemployed grits. people. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. They're just yeah, yeah, with their Centrelink money, which damn, we're gonna to have to charge way less for tickets. <laughs> yeah, I have oh, the, I man, have this joke like about um, prices. <laughs> yeah, wow, it's a scary thought. Uh, is it? What is it like? India, one day Indian parents are gonna be forcing their kids to become artists. <laughs> yes. Dad, I want to be a doctor. Shut up, Sanjay. You are going to be a rapper. Okay. Stop studying. Start sipping this a yak. <sighs> That's so good. That's yet. Oh my God. That is going to be the future, isn't it? As, dude, it's not even a joke. That's just a fact. Hmm. Well, I, I'm really glad that you're thinking about this. It <laughs> has to. Um, yeah, look, but Ed, I agree. I guess to sum up the point, I think that's the, the whether it's a branding issue or, or, or not, I think um, people who have grown up with a, a culture that values. Uh, work in in whatever form it is whether it's academic discipline or um physical work like some of those working class uh, areas they may be hesitant uh to get on board with a, a a party that they perceive as sort of giving a free ride to people who didn't have that culture yes which is where the media comes in yeah okay so that's the whole point is that yes you have all of these cultural values but mm. it's very easy to switch all of these people around because the things that the labor party are pushing for are just and i know this is a phrase associated with the liberals common change but the thing is that like you know for instance when they're just being like yeah we hate the welfare class or whatever then you just say that 
two things straight off the bat. It is good for the economy that there is a welfare class, first off, because you want people not begging in the streets and starving. You want them having a bit of money that they can spend in the economy in the small business, um, you know, a sarong shop that you have or whatever right like you you want those things for, but the second point is that yeah if you don't like welfare mm-hmm. why are you supporting the party that hands out the same amount of money six billion dollars a year to retired bankers and retired stockbrokers that don't need it they need to go harder on that on that point i think well that's what they try to do with capital gains but then that's what that whole election turned into and this is what's so scary about the media right Capital gains tax. Oh, sorry, not the capital gains tax. Um, franking credits. That's what franking credits is. It's basically uh-huh. just welfare for the rich. It's $6 billion a year. Uh, new start costs just, $6 just, just really quickly, um, and again, this is this is a topic I do, I do not have much expertise on, but I, I've, uh, I've heard arguments that it, it's not just the rich that have the franking credits. A lot of middle-class people have a, an investment home that they use as their super or something like that. They do. They have about $10 in franking credits that they get a year. The vast majority of this, about 60%, goes okay. to people that are over have over $2.4 million in shares. That's 60%. So can you imagine the next 20%? Okay. The next 20% is going to be people that have a million dollars in shares. And isn't franking credits also... I'm not sure if it was franking credits, but what's the one where um, uh, a, comp- a, the, a corporation pays tax on your behalf so you get that uh you get a refund or something yes that's That's what what in fact i shouldn't even say franking credits because the thing was the labor party wasn't getting rid of franking credits you can make the economic argument and i think that that is a good point you should keep franking credits because it encourages people to be investing in companies and that is a much better and we will talk about this one day neil actually we'll be talking about the fact that you shouldn't be investing in houses it's bad for the economy (laughs) it's bad (laughs) no but you live here that's fine you you can invest in a cave Mm. but as soon as you start getting other caves and being like pay up you know (laughs) but like yeah like you can you can invest in that but we should be making that point that you should be investing in this isn't a house this is a home yes exactly (laughs) look at what i've done it as well you've done a lot of good work here you're damn right yeah look at that all this all this ikea shit around the place that's a home (laughs) that's a home you've taken a lot of trips to tempe um there's more to come (laughs) i know roads actually roads is closer well that's look as long as it's convenient that's the whole point of an ikea (laughs) so i'm glad about that But yeah, dude, like, I think that that's a, that's a really good point is that, yeah, you, look, franking credits, it's fine out franking credits. What was bad was that, that that was something that was, uh, uh, yeah, when, when um, Peter Costello came in and he gave out what is known as a franking credit refund, which is that people started having these franking credits. Mm-hmm. So the franking credit just basically says, my company paid tax for me this year. I don't have to pay this tax, yeah. right? And so then that, and then so those people just went, and so the government went, yeah, that's fine. We'll deduct that from your taxes. Mm-hmm. But then there were people that don't pay any tax, none, because of all these other loopholes that they do, and also because they're retired and they have all these investments, and they're not paying any taxes on those things because the, all of their money comes from investments. So all of the um, in, all, like so the Bo- corporation boomers. is paying all of that. Yeah, rich ass boomers, dude. There's a lot of those out there. So this and so this is like and so then so all of their money is coming from investments, so they're not paying any tax, yeah. and so then and then they're getting all of these franking credits, and then they just went to the government and said we've got all these franking credits, can we just have money for them, 
And then Peter Costello went, yeah, I don't see why not. You're one of our major donors. Here you go. And started handing out tax money to people who don't pay tax. It's the dole, dude. It's the dole with more steps. And it's the dole for fucking investors. (laughs) Like, you know? So, like, it's, it's just like explaining that to most Indian people. And the thing is... I know other Indian families that, like, at the beginning when I started talking about this Labour Party stuff, that you know, that, like, friends from high school and whatever and friends from uni, and then their parents started watching my shit. They came around, dude. It's not like they're irrational people that are, like, completely consumed by their Hindu gods. From, like, you know? Like, I never they... said that. I don't know where you got that from. <laughs> Take it back, Neil. <laughs> Go on. Definitely putting words in my mouth. <laughs> Jesus. But don't you think though, like, dude, like when you explain these things to most people, it's just like, no, there is no fucking, dude, a lot of fucking bankers. I know bankers and shit that vote for the Labour Party because it's just like, we shouldn't be getting away with this shit. The problem is, yeah, the message isn't, um, well, you get, you just get conflicting messages. Exactly. You do. Hmm. And that's the whole point. That is the whole point of the press is first of all to make politics boring to obfuscate it with a bunch of words and that's the whole point they made uh franking credits unnecessarily difficult to explain mm-hmm. um they did that on purpose cherry picking facts as usual just that thing of being like 70 percent of people that get franking credits um uh, are just you know your mum and dad retirees yes that's true but they get fuck all franking credits most of those franking credits, as a kid, was like 60% go to people with $2.4 billion, $2.4 million in shares. Like, mm. that's where the vast majority of that money is going. But they don't mention that point. They mention the point that 70% of retirees get franking credits, mm. which is like a complete crock at the end of the day. These people... This is what's really sad about this last election is that Bill Shorten was putting a lot of things on the table, basically reversing all of these bizarre upper class and middle class handouts that you should never be giving. I mean, talk about welfare. John Howard was the welfare queen. Like he gave out, you know, crippling amounts of money to the middle class and the upper Mm. class in terms of like tax refunds, tax loopholes, all of that kind of stuff. And essentially at the end of the day, it is just welfare. And essentially Bill Shorten came out and said like, we're going to be reversing a lot of these Mm. Howard era middle class and upper class welfare because like the only reason that we're able to sustain that is because there was so much money coming in from mining but that's not coming in anymore so that is another reason why the debt keeps going up the reason that the debt keeps going up is because uh essentially welfare that that actually so we are spending it on welfare but not even to people that need it that's the other thing that's sad Mm. and so essentially what's happened and i know that this is because this is just how politics works albanese won't be able to touch any of that shit well, so yeah, he won't now. Yeah. He won't. And so it'll be decades not before for the not Not for the first, not in the first election, maybe. Definitely not. Yeah. I don't think in his Probably entire even, yeah. No, he wouldn't, yeah. Because it's the same thing that happened with mining. You know, um, Gough Whitlam tried to nationalise the mines. The, the mining industry slapped him out of government. And so the next Labour government that was elected under Hawke didn't touch mining at all. And they tried to touch it again under uh, Rudd. And then he was removed <laughs> and they just gave us a new prime minister the next day, you know? So again, I understand that a lot of these things when it comes to politics, there's a lot of big forces, but this is, this is the thing that this is my huge uphill battle when I'm constantly communicating with the youth. It's just like, dude, like 
How many feminists get owned compilations can you watch before it gets a bit boring? Like, we get it, you know? They get triggered easy, mad. But there's things that are, like, way more interesting that happen in politics that affect your life, that, that have, like, massive impacts that just aren't talked about. Yeah, but I think that... The Feminist own compilations yeah, are sure, mad. Sure, like, the individual <laughs> examples of just trans people going to the bathroom or just... Feminists getting owned, uh, yeah, they're very minor. But as a whole, that sort of culture is something people uh, are against, and they value being against that a lot. And what, it what, even, what, what culture? What is it? Well, whatever you want to call it. But SJW, what are we? What are we saying? SJW culture, or so? Uh, like, sorry, just uh, yeah, grievance culture, culture. Basically, just uh, yeah, against grievance we'll culture. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. And people value being against that. And there are, you know, it does then um, manifest itself in legislation as well. That's true. Quotas and um, even, uh, well, things like the Racial Discrimination Act and, and, and whatnot, which even that's something I'm actually, I've, I've wondered about for a long time because anything, I'm very obviously like, when we talk about group identity and things, yes, I part of me is Indian and whatever, but like com comedian is like the biggest part of my identity and mm. anything that I would even, that would even hint at infringing on my uh, ability to just uh, articulate exactly what I want to articulate and not be punished for it is something I would, I would value more than, more than anything else. Yeah. Well, see, this is all... Dude, I've read it with it this year with Clive Palmer. Like, yeah, maybe this Racial Discrimination Act might infringe on your freedoms or something. But I'll tell you what infringes on your freedoms a lot more. Hmm. The fact that there is no uh, free speech laws in this country that is kind of just, like, made it's, through yeah, a bunch of... Yeah. yeah, like, that is a huge issue in Australia. The fact that someone with a lot of money can essentially throw money into the court system and bankrupt you for saying something that you don't like. Like oh, that. Yeah, how's that going, by the way? <laughs> I think he backed down, dude. Oh, nice. I think he just <laughs> walked back with his fat legs. But you, like, did, maybe he's really got a tail in his ass. You, I don't you, know. You destroyed him. <laughs> you really <laughs> destroyed him in that video. Yeah, but I think that's... It would just seem like he was bullying you then because he's this billionaire coming out of a YouTuber. I mm. mean, how petty can you be? It's a good question. How petty can you be? Mm. It was the, that... And I think the answer was you can't be that petty, even for Clive's standards. Mm. I think he just moved away from it. But I I think, yeah, like, okay, the, these, you know, the section... I can't even remember what it is. I can't even remember what that bill's called in Australia that they're pushing towards. I don't know anything about it, again, because I just find it so minor in the grand scheme of things. But I think that, and this is just a fact, knowing from how many libel cases are taken out into Australia each and every year, the fact that you can be sued for saying anything, legally speaking, anything in this country mm. is defamation as it stands, is going to have more of an impact, even if it passes that, you know, like racism is hate speech or whatever. Um, now I could like that because think about it. It just encompasses every topic ever. As in, again, I got sued because I called Clive Palmer fat. That, that shit exists today. Someone can sue you today for being a racist or a transphobe. Now, Without this law, I think that this law is just a big distraction as I think that most of these cultural things are. And again, these cultural things do piss me off. They do. But I just, I, I grin and bear them, man. Look, I agree that people who, um, 
are only concerned about the cultural issues probably need to broaden uh, their perspective and, and look into the economic issues a lot more. And I would even say that, yeah, the economic issues should be the main concern, but I don't, I wouldn't, I disagree when you say that they're just a distraction. I think there's a lot more yeah. influence right. that they have yeah, fair point. in people's lives and in the general culture scape. No, that is actually true. And even when it comes to microcultures, look, it's it's especially impactful in our industry because yeah, there's so, there's so many look because of these quotas. We were we were uh, bloody uh, quotas. Aware of it before anyone. Absolutely, you know what it, really it is, and 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 it's and it, because people often say to me like, "Oh, you're a minority. Why are you against all of this?" It's because it's the it's the premise that, like, I need a handout or a, some sort of a handicap because of my skin colour. Yeah, it's so that stupid. is racism. Yeah. No, and the thing is, and it's mad because, again, you, you proved the entire system wrong because you got to where you are on your own merits. You got there because there was an audience that you spoke to. Damn but man. the ones that keep Can you write my biography? You know what it is? Someone said to... Uh, whoa, who was it? It was an echo girlfriend who said this. So it was the one good thing she said. Um, <laughs> uh, people who grew up poor and middle class and then built a fortune are far more likely to vote uh, conservative. And, and I think it's the same with the cultural things. Like if you've come through the, the system and you've made it in spite of whatever minority you are, you are like, why the hell is this person getting this handout and this free ride? Like, I did it myself. Why yeah. should... And I think it's a similar sort of um, mentality. If someone's actually pulled themselves up from their bootstraps and transcended class and come from nothing to something, they're much more likely to, to be adamantly against welfare and handouts for the lower class because they think, well, I did it. Why should they get a free pass? And you know what? Having said this as somebody who uh, is in the artsy industry, I'll, I will see that point. I completely agree with it and raise it further. I don't even think art should be funded. Full stop. Maybe the ballet. Maybe. Because <laughs> like, it just it, it seems kind of baller that people mm. do that shit. But... In general, like, well, I'm not. Know, I'm not just talking about arts as well. I'm just talking about the concept, the, like the the idea that some people are uh, owed owed certain things based on their victim status. Yes, and I 100% agree with those people. But I think that what they need to start doing is stop looking at it through because this is exactly the the frame mm -hmm. that the mainstream media wants you to say it in. And why? Because it's a divide and conquer frame. I still think that that's true, that that is a deliberate tactic that happened after um, the GFC, that everybody started blaming banks for it, which is actually was their fault. And then so they started turning it on to this, like, you know, just essentially like this, like, low-humming race war. And I think that, yeah, look, you should probably stop looking at it from that angle of um, uh, races getting handouts and shit like that. Because the other thing I think... It, is probably pretty apparent is you didn't get any of these handouts you started moving up from where you were and it's because you weren't from the right class it's got nothing to do with race like if you look at all the aboriginals or women or um 
you know, Indians or Asians that are getting very like up middle and upper class people who've gone to private, private schools, schools and have schools, connections. There's actually private schools. a lot of nepotism in that um in that cultural whatever you want to call it, cultural left. Exactly. So I don't even think that that opportunity would have been available to you. And I know other Indian people that are in the arts industry and those opportunities are not available to them despite the fact that they are say, you know, Indian women which is just always put up on a pedestal for funding in the arts well, and no, things because like that, the, but they're not getting it. The thing uh, that uh, when it comes to the racial um, conversation and the divide, it, it, it's, it's like it's, it's framed as white versus the others. And what you don't understand is within the others, there's just as much hatred between the races <laughs> and, and, and massive cultural differences as well. So if you take uh, Chinese Australians, for example, or no, you know what? In, in America, uh, Chinese immigrants, when they do participate, they have a very low participation rate. They're, they almost always vote Republican mm. because they, well, first of all, China isn't even seen as an oppressed minority. Mm. And China, uh, Asian men actually out earn white men. Like that, that mm. destroys the whole narrative that a oh, white men have all these advantages and whatever. Um, yeah. So within that, like within within like all people of color, they're the one. Like this cultural left are the ones treating us as just one big homogenous group. It's like, what are you on about? Like, yeah. There's so much difference, and yeah, to use their term, diversity between. Um, the different races there. Mm. So why, dude? At the end of the day, because it is, it is just a culture. It's another culture, but it's an extremely insular bourgeois culture that mm. just keeps feeding their own views, and those views collapse instantly under any form of scrutiny. Hmm. And that's why they continue to stay in that group. Haven't you heard? I I know this for a fact that people in the ABC, for instance. I guess our peers, but to like anyone on the net has left them in the dust years ago. But they, they will say things like they'll put out some really crap, you know, just this classic virtue signally bullshit um, on the net, and they will be shocked, shocked to see that it gets near universal hate. Hmm. And that virtually the only people that are liking it are other people in the office. Hmm. And everybody in the outside society is just going like, yeah, this is awful. And then they will look at those dislikes and say, huh, bunch of incels. 50,000 dislikes. All hmm. of them are incels. Hmm. Not one of those people is getting laid. Well, well maybe. <laughs> because, well, <laughs> as far as I can tell, the philosophical underpinnings of that ideology is that any disparity between groups whether they're racial groups groups based on gender any disparity or differences in outcome is due to some form of oppression yes and you have to analyze those differences i mean some of it could be discrimination and oppression but they're not willing to take into account that it could actually be culture yes that's very politically incorrect to say Mm. that all certain races have a different well certain races value education more than other races yeah which is just it's adamantly true yeah i and mean if you right. look at look at any selective school it's all chinese and indian yeah because those races just value education more than anything else but then yeah. you look at a bloody footy team there's none because <laughs> they don't <laughs> that's not something they they don't value like toughness and you know 
getting your hands dirty and things like that. I mean, maybe some do. I don't know. But I think for the most Yeah, but I've never met them. Yeah, Not in my Yeah, the only ones that I've ever met value being a doctor. That's it. And so, I yeah, I reckon, yes, it, they, they won't value that point. Um, so I suppose, yeah, like if you put yourself in the position of someone who has actually, has, well, maybe even suffered quite greatly throughout their childhood because they've just been forced in this very disciplinarian manner to just study, 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 study. There's nothing else, just study. And then when they, they uh, bring themselves, you know, pull themselves up from their bootstraps and make it to the upper middle class, if you will, and they perceive a centre-left party as being the one that's giving handouts to people who haven't done that rigorous uh, work and don't have that work ethic, of course they're going to be like, no, screw that, I'm keeping my money for mm. myself. This is yeah. my hard-earned money. Yeah. And you know the other thing as well? I don't know how much Indians uh, cherish democracy as a, as a participatory thing. It could just be the same as it is in Pakistan where it's more just this kind of like tribal ritual where you just keep voting for the same people over and over again because they're from your tribe. I don't know how Indian politics works at all. But I do know for a fact, say for instance in China, because it is just an authoritarian government there, hmm. they don't give a shit about government because they don't yeah. really change it. Yeah. Just, it's there. So they just control what they yeah. control in life. You know what? If there's any race, like forget Indians, I think if there's any race that just never complains and never plays victim... And just always works yeah. as hard as they possibly can. It's, yeah. it's, it's Chinese. Yeah. 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 Well, you know what? And it, you know what? It is a product of, of the, 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 economic and, the economic environment of China because they have no... Yeah, you're right. They have no... They have to work hard. And if you don't work hard, you're, you're going to die. <laughs> yes. Get... And also, but it's, it's, well, you know, there's everything going for it there because it's, it's wound in there. It's wound in their culture because you go back. This is something that I always found fascinating, hmm. which was that if you go to Europe uh, in the Middle Ages, the amount of productivity that was happening in Europe just went on this decline, whereas in Asia, in the Middle Ages, Asia was where all civilization was happening. That's where you know really? gunpowder was invented. They refined... They it, was, it, was the mil- it was the military then. Military. The, the medicine was just so much further advanced than wow. it was in Europe. That's, it sounds. It seems like that's what they're... Sorry. Uh, yeah, it is! seems like what they're doing now, day. isn't it? It's just like... All they give a you fuck can, about I think is America, America can... Yeah, that. And America can see the rise of China and India, so they're just like, yeah, two trillion in the military. Let's go. Two trillion... <laughs> We're going to beat those guys. <laughs> and they can't. This is the whole thing because they're looking at it from the wrong angle. It's just like, yeah, in, in Europe there was this attitude and it came and it was, again, it was a result of how the government was set out. In, in Europe, it was a feudal system in the Middle Ages, which mm. was essentially that you were more or less a slave. Pretty much everyone who wasn't a bishop or a yeah. lord was a slave. <laughs> a serf. But it's the same yeah. shit. It's just a, a tenant that... Well, what are they called? Like indentured servitude is what it became later. Oh, right. But that, okay. that essentially is just a feudal society where you were lower than geese on the societal level. And so those people there had no incentive to yeah, no... produce. Yeah. It was just like they, they had a f- the, the, the main phrase. Well, their incentive then would have been fear because they would have probably been, would they have been like put to death or something? Yeah, but you could just say that, and this is because everybody understood this back then because it was just such a heavily religious society, right? Mm. That you could say, and they did, 
that this was the phrase of the time. It was just, you know, doesn't it like how much wheat you produce wasn't in your hands. That was in God's hands. If you had a good year, that was because of God. If you had a bad year, that was because of God. So everything was not your fault or yeah. your problem, right? When you go to Asia, when you went to China, especially in that same period of time, uh, because rice mm. takes so, and this is so cool because there's always just this phrase that you know, like we didn't domesticate we didn't domesticate plants. Plants domesticated us, and it kind of makes a lot of sense because in yeah Europe again, the yeah. wheat is easier to grow. You kind of just throw it in the ground and it can grow. You sure. can do things to improve it, but that's the kind of thing. But when it comes to rice paddies. So labor intensive. You have to dig out a, a hole, usually in the side of a mountain. You have to then layer it with a level of fertilizer. You have to put a bunch of catfish in there to fertilize it. Um, you have to create this mini really? ecosystem. Basically, it takes like the average wheat field to sow, I think, takes about 50 to 100 hours to sow. The average rice paddy takes about 3,000 hours of manpower to, so to make it productive. To change the culture, did it? So it had to change the culture. So essentially, the Chinese lords then instilled in them that you could turn a profit by being a rice farmer. Yeah. And so they, uh, they, they encouraged enterprise thousands of years ago. And, per and personal responsibility, because if the, yes. the feudal Europeans were thinking, oh, my lot is because of God, yeah. there was a lack of personal responsibility. There. No personal responsibility. Hmm. But in China, there was the, the saying there, while in Europe it was it's in God's hands, in China the saying was, um, he who rises with the sun and works till it goes down will be a rich man. Well, that's why it's by far the most disciplined culture on, on Yeah, Earth. plants, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is, yeah, it's really weird thinking about all of these, uh, you know, huge societal changes basically happening from... They they like having rice with their but then that isn't with their sweet chair pool. Isn't that just a a great example of how culture does play a huge role in a nation state? Yes, but it's also that what's interspliced with that is economic is economic necessity. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, no, no I'm not denying the uh, the importance and significance of economics there, but culture is also a huge contributing factor in the day-to-day -day lives of people within any state society and how that society is shaped for the future yeah and how that's like yeah. uh, the, the the trajectory of that society yeah is based a lot in the culture and that's just instilled into the next generation generation yeah. after generation yeah and that's why these these uh these cultures can be stagnant if nobody is trying to change that culture or lead it to somewhere else. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that, I guess, goes back to the question that we were talking about when it comes to leadership and, and stuff. But, well, yeah, in, in, a, in a very political context, I, I really don't think it is because, you know, these cultures vote this way because they perceive this class to be the, the welfare class or whatever. It's just like, why do they perceive that party to be the welfare party? Why do they perceive that party to be the party of enterprise? Mm. And the thing is, is because there is a machine uh, manipulating these mm. votes and these cultures to get that vote. So, for mm. instance, with... Um, okay, so, yes... Uh, when it comes to the Chinese, for instance, Chinese don't really even give a shit about voting. And if they do vote, like you said, they would vote for Republicans or Liberals, and that's pretty reflective in the votes. Um, Indians tend to vote Liberal. I think that's changed, though. 
Indians have voted. I think, not voted I, Liberal. I think a re- uh, uh, they would have voted Labor back in. Well, I know I can only talk about my family, but uh, yeah, they've gone towards Liberal more more so in the last decade, or so. Yes, and you know why that is. Well, because as well. the racial thing does play a part because someone like Howard and and Abbott. It's not that they're, no one, I'm not, they're not racist, but there's clearly like a, a level of nationalism embedded in, 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 in there that it does make some immigrants a little slightly nervous. Like well, it is emboldening some of the like, yeah, those bloody immigrants. Whereas like my family, uh, they would be more likely to vote for liberals like uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Turnbull or Gladys Berejiklian versus... Yep. Uh, well, Scott Morrison Abbott or, or Abbott or yeah, Anything. and that really depends on where you're trying to get your votes from. So but, that's that, and again, th- th- this is all marketing, man. Like it really doesn't matter if Tony Abbott or Malcolm Turnbull's there. Like the policy was mm. very minor, the it changes is, yeah. in it, right? The Ocker thing does not. It resonates a lot with I think well with white people. It does not. Like no immigrants are like, oh yeah, he sculled a beer. Yeah, I'm gonna vote for him. Yeah, it is a very that's a very wh- white Australian phenomenon. Which is why I think that uh, Kevin Rudd was so popular amongst like migrant communities and white communities because he had that kind of thing of like, yeah, he's an underdog, but he also looks like a hardworking nerd. Yeah, and so they liked him for that. You know what? And yeah. he spoke Chinese. Yeah, but that's that's probably <laughs> that's probably <laughs> a massive. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I, but the the the. Uh, the ethnicities that tend to vote for the Labour Party, for instance, are Middle Eastern ones, like your Lebanese. Um, and the reason that they do, and also Pakistanis apparently vote Labour, mm, that's usually. And the thing is, that, yeah, it's again because the perception is that in those societies they value fairness. Yeah. Fairness is a value there, whereas like when it comes to the Chinese and the Indians, enterprise mm. is a value. Mm. But th- th- again, wow, these are good... such... Huh? Good analysis there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's these are such nebulous terms, and right. and they can be changed around willy nilly. Because, dude, th- and my biggest point for it is, in the eighties under Hawke and Keating, that was known as the enterprising party. That the Labor Party was known as the party of. Um, they need to bring that. Well, they need to bring that back. Well, that's what they're always trying to do. Because, th- and this is what you see in the is press it, all the time. They, is it true that Murdoch used to be a Labor supporter? Yeah, but that's the whole thing. It's just like he supports them if the Labor Party is willing to uh, yeah. do the, the things what is he in, wants. in his business interests. Mm. And so, for instance, for the Labor Party to get like a few terms of Murdoch support, what's going to happen if it, when he dies? Nothing. It'll I don't just think be so his. Anyway. Son, will it be one of his sons that and take one of over? his sons is the same? They're just a younger Murdoch. Okay. But I think that what is happening though is that the Murdoch empire is slowly losing relevance because of the democratization of media. And that's where I see really my position. And that's what I was thinking about after the next election, what I should have done. And you know what it actually was? A lot of it was you and me having that discussion a few months ago, maybe at this point where it was about what is the best type of leader. And it's the one that tries to empower everyone else. I was thinking about that more when I was like away. And then I was just thinking, yeah, dude, what you got to do in the next election is just make everybody aware of the fact that you know that episode of The Simpsons where Burns bought all the papers and then everyone started writing their own papers, dude. That's you now. Yeah. You have. You, everyone is their own little newspaper. They are, aren't they? Yeah. And you don't need to say much. The thing is, it's like what you were saying, right? Like, it's not. 
again, like, you know, uh, white males in the western suburbs, they don't pay attention to the news much. And most of the voting attitudes that they have come from their friends. And so if you're just, if, if I'm just saying to everybody, just, just, just do a couple of posts just on Instagram or whatever, 60 seconds, just saying, this is why I'm voting for the Labour Party. That, yes and no, because I think a la, and also a bigger component of why, well, one, why Trump won in America and potentially why ScoMo won here was because uh, conservative-leaning and right-leaning people felt like, one, they were being talked down to, and two, their humanity was coming into a question by voting for a party that they just felt inclined to vote for. Huh? So, they, you know, if, if you voted for Trump in America, you're, oh, like, you're a bad person. Yeah, and it kind of had a... Um, that's it not, had a Streisand effect. It's not an, I don't think that's an effective strategy at all. But no. when most people post on social media, it's... This party is the party of, if you're a moral person, you will vote for this party. Yeah. Whereas the economic argument there, that's when I do agree with that. The economic argument would be far more effective in that context. Absolutely. And that's the whole thing. That's that's Bernie Sanders' whole point is he never talks about the social stuff. He just keeps bringing it back over and over to climate change. Um, yeah. properly taxing billionaires, like things that, and th- again, these are the things that you should be talking about on a national level, hmm. not, you know, my kids are getting taught about gay people in year six, it's a bit too young, isn't it? These are things that, look, you can hammer out those details in government. It's not an election theme. Well, it is an election theme, but it shouldn't be an election theme is what I'm saying. So, yeah, look, I think that, uh, mm-hmm. Look, they, these cultural issues—they are—they are definite. And but the thing is, what I'm saying is that these are exploited by something greater than the culture. And so that's the same thing that happens with, say, Trump, for instance. And that's what was so good about Trump is that mm. he, his, his strategy was that he was going to tap into a culture that wasn't talked to, mm. um, and hadn't been talked to for years, which essentially was. And it's so bizarre because, like, I suppose because the Democrats and the Republicans are always just. The Republicans were always just looking at the fact that, you know, fuck, 7% of Latinos vote for us and, like, 13% of black people vote for us. Mm. Um, So they were always just thinking about how to make their party appeal more to that. And that's, like, what I guess Tony Abbott and Dutton were saying here, just being like, you don't need the immigrant vote. Just go after poor white working class. Yeah. Go after that vote. (laughs) And it worked in Trump's case. But, like, meh. That was a societally damaging election, and it wasn't just Trump that was guilty. Like the Democrats were just as guilty of it. They really were fighting fire with fire. It's crazy to think it's such a significant point in history. In another hundred, two hundred years, people will still be talking about how this guy Donald Trump won an election. Well, I hope they are talking about it in a hundred years or two hundred years. Maybe they won't, but I do think that this was. In terms of democratic history, a real turning point. Because, yes, Donald Trump did have a lot of billionaire money behind him, but he didn't have the most billionaire money behind him. And he won a federal election. Now, normally that doesn't happen unless there's, like, a depression or something, right? Usually the the candidate that is backed by the banks wins. I think 98% of elections, candidate backed by banks wins. Donald Trump wasn't. Donald Trump, he was backed by oil companies. 
but not all of them. They were still giving a Hillary Clinton. She had seven to one dollars, I think, that Donald Trump had. And usually that's just an election wipeout. Mm. So I think that they should be talking about it because this is a turning point in history, and it's like, and and it's it's very ske- it's it's a it's a skewed point, but it's one of those like rare break opportunities in history where again, a few oligarchs don't own the means of information. Now they're trying to hold that in the internet at the moment, mm. but they don't control it. And mm. So what's happening is media is getting democratized. So while everybody else was panicking when Donald Trump was elected in 2016, I was actually pretty happy about it, man. Like. The American public, in my view, did not make the right decision, but they made the decision that they weren't being force-fed. Yeah. And so it gives hope that in the future, oligarchs won't control elections. It's, it's a, it is a fascinating time to be alive because mm. this, this has never happened. Throughout all of human history, whoever oligarchs want to be in power is who is in power with very, very rare circumstantial exceptions. So, yeah, I think it will be interesting to see that happen. Yeah, I feel like we can um, talk about this sort of stuff for for hours, but this has probably been the longest podcast we've ever done. Fuck, sorry. How long is it? No, don't be sorry. Um, Close to two hours. Damn. Yeah, Yeah, so uh, very, really, really, really good conversation. I, I enjoyed that a lot. And I hope you Likewise. did. Hope you listeners and viewers did too. And as always, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And subscribe to our respective YouTube channels. Do that as well. Instagram, all of that. And if you stuck with us for that entire one hour, 50 minutes, thank you. We'll, uh... I appreciate it a lot. Good <laughs> you guys. That, that was an effort. Yeah, well done. <laughs> See you next I'm time. I'm tired. Yeah, bye. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs>